If you brought your Bibles and you will open them up to Luke chapter 6, as you find that place, let me just state what I think is somewhat of an obvious fact that most of the time we have concluded along with psychology that all the way through our lives we are kind of living with our past. Most of us are somewhat uh, accepting of the fact that the various traumas that we may have, the various conflicts, uh, personality struggles, our personal demons, if you will, in some way or another are rooted in our past. Experiences that we had as kids, or at least during younger years, some way or another, these experiences have latched onto our conscious or subconscious. And although renewed research into the human psyche kind of has reopened the question of the relationship between heredity and environment or in maybe more modern lingo between nature and nurture, I think it's fair to say still that we are pretty focused on the reality that most of the way we think about ourselves and our behavior, to some extent, we think of that as shaped by the past. We even do that when we talk about history. Why do we study history and people have to come up with some kind of explanation and say, well, so that we won't repeat the mistakes we made. I'm here to say to you, at least suggest with the text this morning that there's more to it than just that if you live with Jesus as your Lord. What Luke's summary of the Beatitudes are doing for us here is that they, they highlight, or Jesus is highlighting for the Christian disciple, the one who had had a direct encounter with the living Lord, consequence of this encounter has resulted in Jesus is the master of this person. And therefore things have changed. And now it's no longer only the past that shapes the present, the present but primarily the future. And you're wondering what is that all about? Let's read the text. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Well, that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Shaped by Christ as we call him, Lord, we would think differently. I want you to notice the setting that we have for this very event. Look right here back in the text and notice that Jesus was together with a large crowd of believers, disciples, and a large crowd of people in general. The distinction is made, but that means that a whole humongous group of people gathered around Jesus and they brought to him their lives. And they came because he brought healing to their past. And he brought promise to their future and to their present. Now look, verse 19. There was a power that came from him. This, friends, is still the beginning point for every and any relationship that anyone may have with God himself. It begins when you come to Jesus, recognizing that there's a power that comes from him and it's no different then than it is today. Also today, a people are coming to Jesus and they experience that the very things that may have tied them down, that may have bound them and shackled them, if you will, imprisoned them, will fall away, somewhat like leaves fall off trees in the fall. Let me ask you to consider this also as a church that that becomes the reality, the experience that we meet even here when people meet this group of Jesus followers. They meet here's a place where we're not put in prison, but where we see our shackles and our chains fall off. But I wanted to move it beyond that and just let, let me ask you to consider this even at the outset here. Are you among those where the events of the past still shapes your future? You can't let go. There's something you have to hold on to it and it shapes even your present. If so, you need a life-changing encounter a life-changing touch by Jesus so that it becomes the anticipation of the future rather than the devastating de devastation of the present that shapes your life.
This really is a more powerful text than we sometimes can see if we just read through the surface of it. And I'm going to see if we can dig under some of, some of the, uh, the very top layers in this text. Jesus came to show us how to live. How to live in light of the presence of God. His consistent message throughout is that the kingdom of God has come near. If you want to see the shortest expression of the gospel, the message of Jesus ever is summarized in Mark 1.15. I have come to preach that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel. About as powerful as it comes, and I'm not sure why we have left that behind. Maybe I actually am somewhat convinced of why we have left behind an emphasis on the very life of Jesus. Not his birth, we celebrate at, at Christmas. Not his death, we celebrate at Easter, even his resurrection. But his life, we kind of left that along with some great confessions of the church, of the great creeds, where it just says that he was born by the Virgin Mary and suffering under Pontius Pilate, as if there was nothing in between. Friends, I want to highlight for us that Jesus came to show us how to live in light of the presence of God's kingdom. If it is your desire to notice Jesus' teaching here, what we see are somewhat as a summary of the Beatitudes that are there expressed in a longer version, if you will, in chapter 5 and 6 of, of, of Matthew. Notice what he's speaking here. He's speaking to his own, right? To his disciples. That's how this is. Looking at the disciples, that is the followers, that is his church. That's you all, he said. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who, are, who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Can I start by simply underscoring that this is not a, a statement of general realities and, and even desirable realities of the kingdom of God. There's nothing especially desirable or even godly about being poor, hungry, and sad. In fact, it's the opposite. What Jesus is saying is, listen up, all of you who belong to me. When you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're sad, don't let that tie you down and bind you up. It is not the present, not even the, the past, who decides your life. Your life is determined by the future. Are you listening to me? He's saying the kingdom of God is yours. 
Even if you are poor at the moment, even if you are hungry at the moment, even if you are sad at the moment, this is not an unchangeable and forever lasting reality. A day will come when everything will be di different. A day when poverty is going to be changed to riches where hunger will be removed for satisfaction, if you will, and where sadness will be turned to joy. And that's the reality, that's the state of consciousness, if you will, that should radiate and permeate your life right here in the present. The certainty about how it will be when God's kingdom comes in full. It's already here, but not here, of course, yet in full. The reality of that, the certainty of that should reverberate back from the future, back into your present and shape how you think right now. Maybe you think that sounds almost, but it's really not. If I can just lower it down to a common analogous kind of experience. Not that I want to compare them directly as apple to apples, but still, just think of it this way. You know good and well if there's something that you are waiting for right around the corner that excites you to no end, I can't wait for this to come, and I know it'll be here tomorrow, it will change today, will it not? Because you look at it, you pull it in, and joy is coming already. You begin to see even what happens today in light of what you wait for tomorrow. Yeah? And so Jesus is saying, even in a stronger sense than that, you should rejoice and be full of joy even when you experience people hating you. Look at, at that verse again. And they exclude you and exalt you because you're one of my followers. Because when you belong to me, a day will come where you will jump for joy because you'll come to experience not just the kingdom of God having come in part, but you will see it come in full, what you know now in part, you will know in full. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. They all shall know that God is the ruler of all. You know, remember Peter, the apostle Peter? Jesus had to say to him, finally, you may have been Simon, but you are going to be Peter. From now on, you'll be Cephas, the rock. Friends, I hope we understand the enormously liberating significance of this text. It's actually beyond enormous once you start thinking about it, that people who in general really can do nothing at all when they experience themselves as, as being tied up and, and bound up and, and 
imprisoned, if you will, by their own psyche and their own personality because the very fabric and structure of their personality is shaped and even put in settings by experiences from the past. The best they can hope for is that they can find someone, a friend or a professional, someone who can help them go back to that experience and rearrange it, rethink it, rework it so that some kind of redemption can come from that to the present. I don't want you to misunderstand me here, obviously. There's nothing whatsoever wrong with seeking help to get a grip on your emotions and your psyche. But to the Christian, this is what this text says. There's something more, even something far better. The greatest help does not come by rearranging the past. The greatest help comes from the future. The power that belongs to the future, God's own presence. When God's kingdom will come and fill all in all, that is already here. And it's here for us to experience. Not in full, but in part. That should set you free. This is what the power of God's Spirit is all about. This is what looking to Jesus for learning how to live in the present is all about to show us what it means that we say the kingdom of God has come near. Just imagine. Just imagine. What Jesus is saying here is that you're not being delivered as a sacrifice to horrible and terrible experiences from the past. When the Holy Spirit steps in to your life, God's kingdom, which one day will come in full, is already here to bring his resources to your life, his power, they all came that he may touch them and bring healing to their wounds. So rather than becoming locked up by the past, what this text promises us here is that we can be opened up by the future. Freedom exists by you being put in relationship with the power that comes from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 again. People tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. The power 
from God's kingdom that is able to break the chains that binds us at the moment. I read that and I was reminded of Psalm 107. I love the way it begins and then how it continues. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. And then we go down to verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Friends, I want you to hear this as a promise that comes from Jesus' lips. Not as anything else. If you're still going through a very difficult time and things seem to not have been released from your present. Don't feel burdened and conclude that you may not be good enough, that you may not be close enough to God. That's not the point. The point is that look to him. The contrast is amazing what he's doing here. When you look at these two sets, if you will, of Beatitudes, blessings, and woes, the contrast is enormous. Actually, the woes are pretty anticlimactic, are they not? Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Well, isn't that us? But again, I need to remind you what I just said earlier and what is so prevalent if you read through these texts that this again is not about just talking us down and and saying that this is just about the bad part of being rich and well-fed and hungry. There's nothing bad about not being hungry and not being sad and not being poor. That's not his point. His point is to say, don't think that just because you've had a trouble-free past that has given you somewhat of a joyful future, that now you can act as if there is nothing beyond this. Because there is. I meet people every now and again, actually, who is putting it straight. They're honest enough to say it straight. I don't know that I want Jesus to transform or change my life. What would he change? I'm pretty happy as it is. I don't want my life changed. We're feeling good. And friends, let me say this. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. No one should ever wish anything for friends and neighbors and people they meet or hear about. That they have it in a way that can be 
described by the word good, well. We should always wish for our fellow human being that they're doing well. And that's what Jesus is doing here, even. What he's saying, though, is he's warning against the mistake that live a, to live a life that is more or less just a product of fortunate circumstance. If you just conclude, I'm good, I'm well, because I was fortunate, other people may not have been, or I've got more brain power to make things work, or more stamina to stay up longer, or whatever it may be, fortunate circumstances that have given you the DNA that is yours, the brain power that is yours, the stamina that is yours. And Jesus says, whoa, if that's all, if all you can do when we talk about joy is to think of personal enjoyment, is all you can do when we talk about satisfaction is to think about being well-fed and being well-cared for. If all you can do when we talk about wealth, think about dollars and net worth. What Jesus says, there's so much more to life than just fortunate circumstance. If the only resources you ever have are your own, you will quickly find yourself limited to the moment of the present. If that's good, you are fortunate. But, friends, this is what he wants to say. He wants to say that those who experience me as a personal friend, those who would call me Lord, those who are willing to follow me, you need to recognize that the good you experience at the moment can quickly be transformed and you will have nothing you can do if the only resources you have are your own. Now I want to say also, don't expect that good things that are happening now will turn bad. That's not what this is about. This is about joy. This is about recognizing the significance of being involved with the one who holds life in his hand. What would happen if we follow what Jesus is saying here is that we'll be transformed to something even better than what we might experience now. Our priorities will be changed. Levels of wealth will be expanding and not just mean something that can be counted. Levels of satisfaction will change and not just mean something that can be put in the belly. Levels of joy will come to new measures that you wouldn't even think existed. New life purpose. 
new life character traits, new gifts of the Spirit. That's what he's about in all of these things. Looking to what God's kingdom will bring and bring that back into what is already experienced right here in the present. So the question is not really whether you're rich or poor or hungry or happy. It has very little to do with the life that you're experiencing at this second. The real question is how do you move forward? What do you look for? Are you limiting your life by only looking at your own resources? The resources that were granted you by your past? Or are you opening up and allowing yourself to be transformed and strengthened by seeking the power from God's Spirit? That is the resources that God grants you from the future. What do you choose? I know you kind of expect the pastor to say something like this. What do you choose? But I don't want this to be a rhetorical question, really. Really. If you get this, if you truly get this, it is both about you and your neighbor and this town. If you think that this town all are exactly like you, just drive around a bit. I drove around a couple of Sundays ago. There are all kinds of neighborhoods in this place. You can't always tell from the outside which neighborhood is the happiest or the most joyful. But you can often t tell from the outside which neighborhood is the hungriest. It's about you, friends, but it's also about this area. Jesus gathered his disciples and he looked at his disciples and he said, and this is what he said, what we just talked about. The chain that even ties down when we think we're free can be broken by his power. Come unto me is what he's saying with this. So what's your choice, friends? What is it? We can't read a majestic sermon by Jesus and just go, huh. It transforms and translates the way you think 
even about the foundational building blocks of your life. Father, would you allow us to hear this? To hear this as a message of hope and joy. Father, will you speak to the depths of our soul and let us know that as you're reaching down and you have allowed the kingdom of God to come already, that we may look for its fullness. And as we do, find the joy and the anticipation from that and pull that in, even to transform our present. Father, I'm asking for nothing less than an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. May it be even in this place, even in this very place, that it will be said as it said in this text, that people are coming, disciples, a large group of other people, because power is coming from you right here. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand, friends. We're going to sing a song. Some of you need to make a decision. It can be on all kinds of levels. Some want to say, I want to be a part of this community. Others of you say, I need to stop being chained down by my past and really learn how to walk in the power of God's future. Whatever it may be, act now. Some of you would want to come forward, others of you would want to grab someone's hand. Some of you may want to come to talk to one of us afterwards. However God leads you. The one thing I'm asking you to not do is just to act like, okay, I heard yet another sermon.